Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. Welcome this morning. As we begin our new study in Exodus, Exodus from 10,000 feet. But first, I want to look at the first book of the Bible that we looked at two summers, last summer and the summer before. Give you a review. We need to get a summary of where we were as we work our way into Exodus. In the first book of the Bible, Genesis, it begins with the description of God creating the universe. Everything he made from land to light to vegetation to animals. He called good. Only when God created man and woman was creation deemed very good and complete. Adam and Eve lived in the Garden of Eden and had dominion over creation. In Genesis chapter 1, we read of the blessing of God's blessing and his mandate when he said he created them in the image of God. Male and female, he created them. And that God blessed them and said, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. But it didn't take long for the peace of Eden to shatter. Sin entered the world and changed everything. Mankind became separated from God, banished from the paradise. Nothing, nobody would be the same. As mankind multiplied, they filled the earth and corrupted it. God brought his judgment upon the earth, wiping out mankind with the flood and using the family of Noah to start anew. The Lord had a plan of redemption and he's going to carry it out. Generations passed and the father of a future people, Abraham, was born. Abram, as he was known there, settled in Haran, where he received a promise from God. Turn real quickly, you're in Genesis, now turn to Genesis 17, and we'll look at this verse before we go on. The promise was this, that God would make Abraham and his offspring a great nation, and that they would one day dwell in a land called the Promised Land. In Genesis 17 and verse 1, we read, when Abram was 99 years old, The Lord Lord appeared to Abram and said, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may may, uh, multiply you greatly. Then Abraham fell on his face and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. Verse 5, No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham, for I have made you the father of of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make you into nations and kings shall come from you. What a great, great promise. What a great blessing. But years passed and Abraham had a son, Isaac. Isaac had a son named Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons and scripture tells us that the youngest son, Joseph, or the youngest at that time, Joseph was his favorite. Joseph's brothers in their jealousy sold Joseph into slavery. But the Lord gave Joseph favor with Pharaoh of Egypt and he rose to the power, to second power in the royal palace. And when famine ravaged the land of Canaan, Joseph's family came to Egypt seeking food and provisions. And Joseph, as we close out the book of Genesis, forgives his brother 
giving them a land to live in. Now you're in Genesis chapter 50, the last chapter with Genesis. In this passage, we read of the final years of Joseph's life, Joseph's life as the house of Jacob remained in Egypt. Joseph lived 110 years, but he breathed, but before he breathed his last, he reminded the people of God's promise to draw them out of Egypt and into the promised land, the promise that was given to their great-grandfather Abraham. Look at verse 50, chapter 22, or verse chapter 50, verse 22. So Joseph remained in Egypt, he and his father's house. Joseph lived 110 years. And Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation. The children also of Makar and the son of Manasseh were counted as Joseph's own. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die. But God will visit you and bring you out of his land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac and Jacob. Even on his deathbed, he remembered the promise to Abraham. Verse 25. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died being 110 years old. They embalmed him and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. More than 400 years had passed from the time that God made the promise to Abraham and the Israelites still had not seen its fulfillment. Turn to Exodus. You're there in Exodus chapter one. Probably the next page you're on the same for you. But even so, God continues to bless them and causes them to grow and prosper. Look at verse 1 of chapter 1 of Exodus. Now these are the names of the son of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his household, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. All the descendants of Jacob were 70 people. So when they came down, there were 70 of them together. Joseph was already in Egypt, Scripture tells us. In verse 6, we see then Joseph died and all of his brothers and all of that generation. But the people of Israel, from those 70, were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. Over the next 12 weeks, we are going to be exploring the exciting book of Exodus. Many of us are very familiar with its stories about Moses and the ten plagues, you know, the river turning to blood, the boils, the gnats, the frogs, the killing of the firstborn from reading the stories as young children. It's full of heartbreak and miracles, destruction, war, hard-heartedness, and spectacular events that it's no wonder that many movies have depicted its stories on the big screen. From uh, Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston, the, the, you know, the, the great one, to the Prince of Egypt, to Exodus gods and kings from several years ago. But with that, let's pray. Father, so open our minds and hearts to this wonderful ancient book. Help us to see how it has relevance to us today. Father, we thank you for its preservation. We thank you, Lord, that we can trust in what's written here as your word. So open up our minds and hearts to receive. In the spirit, pray that you do your work, that we'd respond to whatever you've ordained for us this morning. We pray in the name of Christ. Amen. So I want to give you a quick overview as we go through Exodus. There's kind of four major parts. We see first, God hears his people. In the next few chapters, we're going to see how God saves his people from Egypt. It moves to God giving his law to Israel. 
And then it ends with Israel building a tabernacle where God comes and dwells among his people. The key verse, as you'll see here on your monitor, one you're going to take in your heart, is found in Exodus chapter 20, verse 2, where he says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Exodus, as you know, is the second book of the Bible. It's found, it's the second book in the Old Testament and the second book of the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. Exodus means a going out. When you hear the word Exodus, it means a going out from the Greek. However, in Hebrew, it means, and these are the names, starting with verse 1. Tradition has Moses as the author, while there is no consensus on the time in which he wrote it or in the time period it takes place. It covers the history of the Israelites and their departure from Egypt, the giving of the law at Mount Sinai, and then the building of the tabernacle. The main characters of Exodus include Moses and Aaron and his four sons, along with Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, and Moses' young assistant, Joshua. The events of Egypt take place primarily in three settings. First, we see the setting is in Egypt, where the Israelites are fruitful but are forced into slavery. The events in Egypt cover their quest to let the Hebrew children go to worship God, Pharaoh's refusal, along with the ten plagues. We then move to Sinai, from Egypt to Sinai, that trip, which depicts the Israelites leaving in miraculous fashion. However, their constant mumbling and complaining leads to judgment, while also receiving miraculous deliverance, as God provides for their physical needs of protection, food, and water. The setting then moves to Mount Sinai where God records God's meeting with Moses and the giving of the law, which includes things such as the Ten Commandments, the state which God expects from his people, the civil and societal laws that depict how the Israelites were to live together and govern themselves, the ceremonial laws that were used to celebrate and worship God, as well as the institution of the tabernacle, the place of worship, and the priests who would lead the Israelites in worship. And finally, the glory of God coming to dwell among his people. Now, as we open to the book of Exodus, we read that a new Pharaoh, one who knew nothing of Joseph or God's promises ruling over Egypt. The Egyptians had feared that the Hebrews, that they would grow into a mighty nation or over, and overtake them or join with one of their enemies and overtake them. So they forced them to work as slaves. Day after day, the Israelites worked in the heat of the sun and the sand. The taskmasters whipping their bats, backs, sweat stinging their wounds. Yet we find in the book of Exodus a great story and that God does not forget his children. In Genesis, we found that God has been displaying his character through a world he has created and in his interaction with the human race. In the latter chapters of Genesis, the focus was on four great people, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. We learned how God was working through Abraham and his family to accomplish, and this is important, because it's more than just Hebrew history. Because working, God was working through that family to accomplish his purpose of sending a savior to redeem the whole human race from the curse of sin and death that was promised in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. 
The narrative of the story is moving from the call of Abram to the creation of the nation of Israel that will lead to the chosen seed. And Exodus continues to tell that wonderful story of redemption. Keith Krell writes that the focus of Genesis is on God's choice and care of his chosen people of Israel. In the book of Genesis that we, just, we ended with, it clearly demonstrated the providence of God in his creation and the lives of his people. Take a look at the screen as we look again, just as a, as a mind of matter, uh, to, to remember, is the doctrine of providence. We see that it's where God is continually involved with all created things in such a way that, number one, he keeps them existing and maintaining the properties in which he created them. We think of the creation of the earth. He cooperates with, number two, with created things in every action, directing their distinctive properties to cause them to act as they do. Hence why we have science, because there is a pattern, there's a form to it. And number three, directs them to fulfill his purpose. Now that is not only in creation, but that's also in the affairs of men. You see, God is sovereign over seemingly random things, the heart of the most powerful person in the land, our daily lives and plans, life and death, sovereign over marriages and pregnancy, birth order, and the promise of sending a Savior. God's providence is used to show the faithfulness of God in accomplishing His purposes and keeping His promises to His children. Again, Keith Krell observed that God works through the weakness of sinful men to accomplish His purpose. And so as we went through Genesis, we worked our way through the life of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and, uh, and Joseph and others. And we see that God uses flawed men and women which should encourage us that God still uses us today. And Exodus is no different. We're going to see men and women that God used in a sovereign way to accomplish his purpose of sending Christ to us. So as we continue with our study of Exodus, and here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I am going to ask you to read the book of Exodus during these next 12 weeks. So for your homework for this week is not only memorize question two of our catechism, but also read the first three chapters of Exodus. And as you read through it, I want you to read more, not just through the story and putting them together with the films and other things that you might recall in those scenes, but read it to see the pattern that you and I must hold to and remember of the story of the Bible, the story of redemption, and the story of Christ. For that is what Exodus is continuing through. Now I want to give you four observations as we look at, this, at Exodus as a whole before we start digging into it next week. Four things. The first thing we need to see is that in Exodus, we see the providence of God on display. We saw it in Genesis. We're going to continue to see that theme as we go through. Turn to Genesis chapter 15. Turn to Genesis chapter 15, if you would. In Genesis chapter 15, verse 12, we read of God's promise to Abraham considering or concerning his descendants. In Genesis chapter 15, look at verse 12. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and they will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for how long? 400 years. 
But I will, now this is for he has Isaac. In verse 14, but I will bring judgment on that nation and they will, that they serve. And afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. Speaking of Abraham, you will have peace and you shall be buried in a good old, good old age. But do not fret, for I have something great and miraculous. These are my words. Verse 16. But he promises them that they shall come back here, speaking of the promised land, in the fourth generation. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. So what does he tell them? Listen, you're going to die peacefully, but know this. Your children will go to a foreign land and serve for 400 years. But do not fret, for I will bring them out with great possession. They will be servants. They will serve others, but they will come out rich. They will come out with much. So now turn to Exodus chapter 12. As we go to verse 33. In this passage, we see that God has worked through these circumstances to provide exactly what he promised to Abraham. So here, as we're flying over Exodus, look at Exodus chapter 12, verse 33. And this is where we see the end of the ten plagues, the death of the firstborn. The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste. 400 years they have done the Egyptians uh, bidding. They have built, they have worked the fields, they have done all of those things for them. But now at this time they are ready just to get rid of them. For they said, we shall all be dead. Verse 34. So the people took their dough. Now this is talking about not dough money, but dough bread, before it was leavened, their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks on their shoulders. The people of Israel had also done as Moses told them, for they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they let them have what they asked for. And look at this last sentence. Thus they what? Plundered the Egyptians. In Exodus, we see the providence of God on display. Yes, they, may be, they might be uh, servants and slaves in a foreign land, but God is working things towards the cross. And he's not going to let this, this little 400-year pause in their lives. Now, you can imagine that they might have been desperate, frustrated, Maybe even felt that as their fathers and grandfathers would tell them of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and remind them about the promise. You can imagine after 400 years, like, what are you talking about? There's no way. And as we read through Exodus, you're going to see that as they come, that Pharaoh continues to put more and more burdens on them. But yet in the end, God's providence is great. And he works things through. Number two. So not only do we see the providence of God on display in Exodus, but number two in Exodus, we're going to see the faithfulness of God on display. As one theologian writes, the providence of God also shows that God remains faithful to his promises to Abraham. From Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to Joseph, then to the 70, God has been faithful. 400 years have passed since Jacob and his family moved to Egypt. And Moses writes that the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land, it says, was filled from 70 to many. Remember, it starts with Abraham not even trusting that God would give him his own son. 
and he brings Ishmael. But God says, no, I'll give you. So he has Isaac, the son of promise. From, from Isaac, he has two children, Jacob and Esau. He chooses Jacob. Then he has 12 to 70. To now, as we're going to see, it was probably a million plus by the time they leave Israel, even as they're enduring suffering. Yet scripture tells us in Exodus 1, verse 8, if you're there, there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us with the escape from land. So all of a sudden, the promise of God becomes a burden that they must carry. Because the blessings of God, the blessings to Abraham, has now put their life, liberty, in jeopardy. Let's continue. Therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread about. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So that they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service. Boy, I'm not so sure. God has a wonderful plan for your life. Try that telling this to the Hebrew children as their life becomes increasingly, increasingly worse, which each, each new generation. It ends that passage by saying, in all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Now again, I thought we were going to be a blessing. I thought there was a special promise for us. Yes, we're increasing in number, but yet our lives are made harder. Our work is more difficult. Our backs are broken and bent. What hope is there for our children? Isn't it a wonder we live in a generation that does not believe that God is providence or God is faithful. So we live in a generation that says, life is too hard. Let's stop having children. Yet they increased more and more. But as we shall see next week, God remains faithful to his people. In Exodus chapter 2, this is on the monitor here in verse 23. We see this during those many days that the king of Egypt died. And the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and they cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And God, listen, underline this, God heard, not on the screen though, please. God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant. Oh my goodness. We could end right there with just a plead from me to you. Would you recognize that, realize that God hears your cry? And that he understands your groaning? And that God remembers his covenant. That all things work to good to those that know him. And that are called to his purpose. So God heard their groaning. God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and Jacob. And then I love this part. God what? God saw the people of Israel. And it ends with, and God what? Knew. God is faithful. 
And as we read through Exodus, you're going to find the many different ways that God is faithful when his people are not faithful. We see in Exodus that God is a God who hears, who remembers, who rescues, who delivers, who provides, who hardens, who judges, who punishes, but yet also forgives. God is faithful to his promises. You see, God had extended his covenant promise from Genesis, from Abraham to the children of Israel. In Genesis chapters 12, 15, and 17, God's blessing to Abraham includes all the nations. While in Exodus 19, as we get there, God's promises to Israel in that day is that they would be a kingdom of priests to the nations with the restoration of God's promises. God is not done with Israel as we open up the book of Exodus. It starts off with grateful news. They are increasing, but yet... As we continue, the news becomes worse. Be it God's faithfulness is there. Number three, we see not only God's, uh, his providence on display and his faithfulness, but thirdly, in Exodus, we see the glory of God on display. The glory of God. Pastor, Pastor Mark Dever of Adever notes that Exodus paints a grand display of God's glory that is shown through his sovereign work. And he points out three ways that the sovereignty of work is, is displayed. And so I, I bring these to your attention because as you read it, notice the ways in which God shows that he is sovereign. So number one, God works, and this is not on the screen, but God works sovereignly in the lives of Moses and Pharaoh. So we see that God works even in the heart of people, those that are his children and those that are not. Number two, we see that God sovereignly, uh, God works to sovereignly save his people, a special people, excuse me, to save a special people. You see what we're going to see in Exodus is that he distinguishes his people from Egypt. Here's my people, here's the people of, Israel, uh, of Egypt. We'll see that when it comes to the plagues, the later plagues, as God starts to, to, to put punishment and judgment on the Egyptians, but he sets out his people for blessings. But not only that, we see that he distinguishes his people, the Hebrew children, from the peoples of the earth in 19 through 40, as he sets them apart and says, you're to be holy as I am holy. You are a separate people. We see that also in 1 Peter as that now reverts to us or we're joined in with Israel. And then number three, God works sovereignly to save a special people for his own glory. If you're in Exodus chapter 10, you can go there very quickly. If not, I'm just going to read it. In Exodus chapter 10, God says this, The Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine among them, and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and of your grandson how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians and what signs I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. In Exodus 14, 31, we'll see this come to pass. As Moses writes that Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians and the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and his servant Moses. So as you read through Exodus, see the ways in which God's glory is on display, which leads us to the fourth and last. In Exodus, we see the very person of God on display, the very person of God on display. 
Professor James Hamilton in his book, God's Glory and Salvation Through Judgment, is an excellent book, but he writes this. In Exodus, God introduces himself to Moses, to Israel, to Egypt, and the world. He's introducing them himself to a new group, but well, not to a new group, but he's almost like reintroducing himself. It's like he's been forgotten from Genesis on, from the days of Abraham, Jacob, and Isaac. He knows that 13 times in Exodus, God says, I am Yahweh. And 11 times he remarks, you shall know who I am in regard to who he is. He identifies himself as holy. He identifies himself as I am, the self-existing one, the banner of Israel and the great provider. In Exodus chapter 3, if you're there, you can read real quickly. We read that Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight. Why this bush is not burning. God called him and said, Moses, Moses. Moses says, here I am. And he says, do not come near. Take off your sandals for the place in which you're standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He introduces himself to Moses and Moses hid his face for he was afraid. Later in Exodus 3, Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me. And they say, what is that name? What is his God? What shall I say to him? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me. He has to introduce himself to his own people. In Exodus 5, 2, when God requests via his messenger Moses to let my people go to Pharaoh, Pharaoh replies, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord. And moreover, I will not let Israel go. And in the song of Moses that Landon read earlier, we, we, we read that Israel sung, the peoples have heard, they tremble, pains have seized the inhabitants of Felicia. Now the chiefs of Edom's, now he's listing other, city, uh, other countries, are dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Why? Because they have been introduced to God. Terror and dread fall upon them because of the greatness of God's arm. They are still as stone till your people, the Lord, pass by. Till the people pass by whom you have purchased. The very person of God is on display. Not surprisingly, all four of God's intended audience struggle with his introduction. Moses, though fearful of God, as we read, tried to stammer his way out of serving God. The Israelites, though at first joyful, quickly descended to complaining and rebellion. Pharaoh rejected the authority of God outright until the very end, while the Amalekites attacked Israel shortly after leaving Egypt. It's any wonder that God's very first command to Israel and the rest of the world is this. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourselves a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is the water underneath. 
You should not bow down to serve them. For I, the Lord of God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. God in Exodus is introducing himself to Moses, to his own children, to Pharaoh, and to the world. Just as he introduces himself now to us through his son, Jesus Christ. And you and I have a response. The response, as we find in Exodus, is a mixed bag. Some with joy and obedience, some with fear and dread. As we read through Exodus, we'll see the providence, the faithfulness, the glory and character of God. In it is a book filled with heartbreaking loss, but also wondrous miracles. It describes great men whose lives are changed by God and also men who are destroyed for their rebellion. It points to a God who blesses and remembers his children. But yet it also shows a God who is also a God who judges and punishes. Turn to Exodus 34, verse 5, if you would. Exodus verse 34. It points to a God who blesses, or I'm sorry, in this passage, God presents himself once again to Moses. But this time he makes a proclamation that's similar to the one that we saw earlier. In Exodus 34, verse 5, the Lord descended in a cloud. This is when he, Moses is now at Mount Sinai. The Lord descended in a cloud and he stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed this. The Lord, the Lord a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Exactly what we read today in our, in our uh, what is God? Keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clean or clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. We see here a terrible, a terrible condemnation. Yes, I'm gracious, I'm forgiving, but yet I will not clear the iniquity of anyone. In other words, all sin must be judged and punished. Now Moses' response to the glory of God is found in verse 8 there. Moses quickly bowed his head towards the earth and worshiped. However, sadly, not all those that witnessed the wonder of God responded with worship just as today. We may present the word of God and the wonderful gospel, but they do not, bow, not all bow their heads and worship God. Some shake their fists and their hands at him and say, no, who are you? Many fell to temptation to complain, mumbling, questioning the goodness and wisdom of God. Many fell to the temptation to give in to their passions and their lust rather than to be holy as God has called them. And many fell to the temptation to pursue their own passions or their own interests rather than the interests of God. And you will see all this as you go through Exodus. Though facing much suffering, the family of Abraham, though, becomes a large tribe a nation, if you will, as a result of God's blessing. In their obedience, they become the children of God that also finds us today as a part of that glorious street. You and I sitting here that profess Christ, that have been regenerated, we too now stand as children of Abraham, as children of promise. The question one might ask 
is why in the world are we studying a book that records the history of a nation that is not our own? What role does Israel play in our journey of faith? What must we learn from Exodus? Why would we take time to read this ancient book? Well, I think the answer is going to be found in the New Testament in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. So I'm going to ask you to turn to that if you would, please. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, in this passage, the Apostle Paul is warning the Corinthian church, a church of, of Christians, the believers, that was acting very similar to the Hebrew children. They were following the same path, pursuing those things that were not godly, not living holy lives, mumbling and complaining. In chapter 10, I believe it's verse 1, he says, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and were all baptized with, into Moses in the cloud and the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the sp same spiritual drink. So he's really talking about Exodus and, and Numbers and De Deuteronomy as we go through here. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed him, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased. For they were overthrown in the wilderness. The Apostle Paul goes on to remind these, Christian, these Christians in Corinth that in verse 6, that these things took place as examples for us. That we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in one single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Again, he writes, now these things happen, speaking of the Old Testament, particularly the wilderness these things happened to, happened to them as an example. But they were written down for our, what? Instruction. So the book of Exodus has a 2017-2018 reality relevance to us today. On whom the end of the age has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. So many times you and I will open the book of Exodus and we will read these stories and we think we would not be Pharaoh. We would not be Aaron or his, some of his sons that fell or, or those that were like Korah or those that were like the mumbling. We say we were above these things, but yet he's saying here, no, you're not. Take heed, lest you yourself stumble. Do you bow your head in worship? When God introduces himself, do you accept the providence of God? Find hope in the blessings and the faithfulness of God. Theologian James Hamilton notes that when God mercifully pardons, and we know that he does for scripture tells us, he upholds his own righteous standard. In other words, he says that God just satisfies the wrath God satisfies the wrath that he justly feels when he has been offended. In Exodus, you will see the judgment and punishment on those who offend God when they respond negatively to his introduction, to his blessings, to his faithfulness, to his providence. 
In the case of ancient Israel, they faced the wrath of God for their disobedience. Pharaoh faced the wrath of God for his disobedience. Their children paid the price for their parents' sin. Yet God has provided an escape for us today. You see, the Apostle Paul writes that Christ was our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. God has made a way for our disobedience, our sin to, forget, to be forgiven. Our sin, which is very much like the children of Israel, is now forgiven. As we read Exodus, you and I must remember that it's filled with word pictures of the future redemption that is found in Christ. Too many times we are like these ancient Israel. We too fall in temptation. We question the goodness and the wisdom of God. We pursue our own passions rather than the promises of God. But through Christ, the God who is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, has forgiven and cleared the iniquity. Not by ignoring sin, but by pouring out his wrath on Jesus Christ. For Jesus becomes the ultimate sacrifice. So let me bring you to this as we close. Let's keep this in mind as we read and study Exodus together. May it encourage us to pursue God with all of our heart and our soul and our might. May you and I be reminded of God's providence, of God's faithfulness, of God's glory and God's character. If you find yourself like Israel, tempted to forsake the blessings of God, would you consider the words of Paul as he continued in that letter in 1 Corinthians chapter 10? For he ended that saying, No temptation is overtaking you that is not common to man, but God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. For many of us, our lives will mirror, mirror the events of Exodus. Not in exact historical de detail, but in the same heart that responds to God's wonderful sovereignty, providence, faithfulness, and his um, display of glory. As you read through it, let's be excited. Start with us as we delve into it, for then we see the wonderful grace of God that's found in his Son, Jesus Christ. With every head bowed and every head closed as the worship team comes up, I just want to encourage you this morning. In what ways have you been struggling in receiving and trusting the blessings of God? Maybe it's been a long time that since you've seen the blessings of God. Maybe you've been struggling with God's faithfulness. Maybe it's been a long time of enduring suffering and you're just looking for that hope. You're looking for that time of peace. Let me share with you, just trust God. Recognize that God hears, that God knows, that God forgives, and that God rescues, even today, through his Son. Would you accept what his word has to say? Lord, we come to you and we just thank you for your word. We thank you even for this ancient book. Lord, may we hold it dear as truth. May we see its relevancy for today. Help us to see the story of the Bible, the story of redemption, the story of Christ in its pages. Lord, as it's written as for our instructions and examples for us. Father, thank you for sending your son. And I pray that our hearts will be open to his truth. And Father, send us that we may share that with others. We praise the name of Christ. 
Amen. Exodus chapter 1 through 3, if you would, next week, as we study through that, come prepared, be praying through it, reading through it, and let's see what God has for us. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.